Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman, and I hope your weekend plans are bigger than DJ Moore's fantasy score. Chicago Bears star receiver looking every bit like a guy that was worth trading the number one overall pick for as the Chicago Bears down the Washington Commanders 40 to 20 on Thursday night. What an improvement from a week ago. What a way to end a nightmare couple of weeks for the Chicago Bears organization. They snap a 14-game losing streak dating back to basically a year ago. The laughingstock of the league through the first month of the season. Laughingstocks no more. What a win by the Bears, who were six-point underdogs coming into this game. Again, I don't know how many times we need to rehash everything that's gone wrong for the Chicago Bears, but... To even take it as recent as four days ago, they let a 28-7 to lead slip to the Denver Broncos at home. They've got to go on the road on a short week. They've got disgruntled players. They've got their coach not knowing how to talk to the media. And damn, if they don't hang 40 points and 450 yards on the Washington Commanders, who again were expected, or most people, including me, thought that they would be able to, to put together a statement win and take care of a, of a team that looked worse on paper. Not the case here. Did, did look for a minute like the Bears were going to succumb to their old ways. It, it got dicey in the second half of this game. Washington rallies from a 27-3 to halftime deficit. They outscore the Bears 17-3 to early in the second half. But DJ Moore heroics put this thing away, a 20-point win. Hard to know where to start. I've mentioned DJ Moore. It would be a shame not to bring up the guy that is throwing him the ball. DJ Moore, if I didn't already say his stat line, you see it on the screen if you're watching. Eight catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns. He won some fantasy leagues on Thursday night. If it's Friday morning and you're playing against DJ Moore, don't worry about your lineup on Sunday. I'm sorry to say it. As cool as that is, and DJ Moore, my producers gave me this right before we started the show. DJ Moore, 531 yards through five games. He's only 13 yards behind the leader for all of last year for the Chicago Bears, Cole Komet. 
DJ Moore is going to pass his total from last year, probably next week. Incredible stuff. I'm sure the Bears feel fantastic about that decision to include DJ Moore in the trade with Carolina. But as exciting as all of that is, Justin Fields, man, how thrilling must it be to see this guy who has been under so much scrutiny, under so much pressure, so many people dogging him, doubting him, talking bad about him. 15 of 29, 282 yards, four touchdowns on the night. Most important, no turnovers. Remember, his sack fumble is, is really the catalyst for Denver's comeback last week. Did not happen this time around. Sure, there were some close calls, but hey, nobody remembers that if you win the game. It's the second straight eyebrow-raising performance in less than a week. Remember, this all happened Sunday. So in five days... We've gone from do the Bears go after Caleb Williams, and, and maybe they still should. Let's not get too, too far ahead of ourselves. But two games in less of, than a week where DJ Moore is at the very least looking like a guy who could, who could be a franchise quarterback, who could be somebody that builds your offense around. And the most exciting part for me is he did it against a step up in competition. Don't laugh. I'm not saying the commanders are good. Again, they were favored in this game. They wind up getting blown out. They're two and three on the season. Not an NFL elite, but a better defense than the Denver Broncos. And how do I know that? Because everyone in the NFL is a better defense than the Denver Broncos. Denver last week, last in DVOA, last in defensive EPA. They gave up 70 points to Miami. They're allowing 38 points per game. Washington, not a fire-breathing defense at all. But they are a so-so 18th in all of those metrics I just listed. They're 22nd in total defense. They are a better defense than the Denver Broncos. And Justin Fields lit them up, particularly in the first half. There's a more nuanced conversation to be had about the Bears being a little more consistent. It was looking, like I just said, I mean, they, they had been outscored 41 to 10 in the second half of these two games before DJ Moore's heroics at the end that really put this thing away. But still, two phenomenal passing performances from Justin Fields. You've got to have so much more confidence in where this offense is going after this last week. I mentioned this the other day. The Bears also have manageable opponents coming up. You look at the schedule, all of a sudden, Vikings and Raiders coming up, and certainly not chalking those up as wins. But if Justin Fields is playing like this, you have to like your odds that the Bears can start to stack some wins together, maybe climb out of that 0-4 hole. They're already on their way. And they did all of this without a semblance of a running game in the second half, by the way. Khalil Herbert, Travis Homer, Roshan Johnson all leave this game due to injury. There was a moment in the fourth quarter where I'm saying to myself, why the hell aren't the Bears running the ball? They're up in the second half. They got to get out of here. They're on the road. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, they don't have a running back. Fields as a ball carrier and their fullback are what got them through to the end of this thing. So even being completely unbalanced, they managed to hang on. They managed to still score some points. I think it's incredibly impressive. We're not we're not taking the Bears too, too far. Like, let's not... Let's not get carried away because I think that's how the Bears wound up in this mess in the first place is unrealistic expectations. Like, I think there were a lot of people 
around this organization, fans in Chicago that saw this team as a potential playoff contender. I always thought that was biting off more than this team could chew. But they should have been better, and they finally look better. This looks like a team that could steal some surprise wins, certainly not lose 14 in a row. And maybe you you feel good about your progress. You feel good about building around Justin Fields. That's That was the goal, and right now at least that feels like it's attainable, and that should be exciting for Bears fans that are celebrating their first win in basically a year. I think that's fun. We can leave it there for now. It's also an incredibly cool, cool tribute to Dick Buckus, the Bears legend. Word comes down that he passed away Thursday at his home in Malibu just hours before kickoff, really. And and to be honest, it it seemed especially sad that this news would come out as the Bears were playing, a Bears team that's been through such a rough season. But they rise to the occasion. They play their best game of the year. They get their first win the day that we receive this sad news. Dick Buckus, a two-time defensive player of the year, an eight-time All-Pro, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, a, a career-long bear, a guy that was still involved with the franchise up until this very season, an, an icon. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm too young to have ever seen him play live, but anybody who loves football, I think, does know the name Dick Buckus, or at the very least should, a true icon of, of what this franchise was all about, the Monsters of the Midway. It's very, very cool that the Bears were able to get this win as, as some sort of tribute to him and his family. Real quick on the commanders, a couple of things. Number one, I think this it, it is an incredibly disappointing loss if you're Washington. Remember what we said before the season. Everybody in this franchise should consider themselves on a job interview. That goes for Ron Rivera. That goes for offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. That goes for the front office. There's new ownership in Washington. They were six-point favorites at home coming off of a really strong performance against Philadelphia. And with the exception of about 10 minutes in the second half, they just didn't look ready for this game. You go down 27-3 at home to a winless team. That's a really, really bad look. It's not a great spot for Ron Rivera to be if new ownership is evaluating his job. But we should talk about Sam Howell, another guy whose job is being evaluated. This dude's fun, man. We'll see how, how he continues to progress. And his first season as the starter, you're seeing all of the ups and downs that you might have expected. Gets drilled by Buffalo, goes up and plays amazing against Philadelphia. Very forgettable first half here against Chicago. And then in the second half, just absolutely balls out. 51 attempts on the night, 388 passing yards, two touchdowns. But it's not even so much the stat line. This dude is is a walking thrill ride. I don't know what's going to happen on any given snap. It's like playing roulette. It's like putting a hundred dollars down and just watching the wheel spin, just constant anxiety with a few bursts of, of joy and excitement, maybe some agony throwing interceptions, scrambling around, diving for two-point conversions, carrying tacklers with him. I think Sam Howell ran 150 yards in this game to gain 19. That's how often he was on the run. That's how often he was wheeling around in the pocket, trying to get away from guys made a couple of gorgeous throws. Sam Howell's must see TV. Like Anthony Richardson is, is the most fun first year starter. 
but I don't know if Sam Howell is very far behind. We'll see if it leads to more wins in the future, but I like watching Sam Howell play football. That's a bright spot for the commanders, but a good, good night for the Chicago bears. Fun, fun Thursday night, but let's get to Sunday, a loaded week five slate. We got another London game to talk about. We got a clash of NFC heavyweights Sunday night, but let's start Sunday afternoon Right here in Los Angeles, the Philadelphia Eagles coming to town to face the Los Angeles Rams. Greg Olson is on the call, and he joins me now. Greg, let's get into this thing. This has been my talking point with the Eagles all season long, which is that you watch their games, and it feels fair to say they're not hitting on every cylinder. Then you look up, they're 4-0, they're top five in total offense, they're top five in scoring offense. They look pretty damn good. Is it fair to say that there's more the Eagles could be doing or or is the standard just that high at this point? No, I, I think it's totally fair. And we're actually, uh, you know, that's going to be something we're going to dive into on the broadcast on Sunday. I, I think the scary thing for the rest of the for the rest of the league is, as you mentioned, they're actually scoring more points than last year. They're getting more yards on offense than last year. And when you watch it, it just doesn't quite seem as smooth. It doesn't quite seem like they're quite clicking and converting on all the deep balls. I know last week against Washington um, was a lot better. Probably Jalen Hurts' best game thus far, um, you know, passing the ball. So I think it's completely fair. I think it's scary. I think their weapons are incredible. I think Swift has done an unbelievable job stepping in and replacing some of the production at the running back position with Miles Sanders now in Carolina. Obviously, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, uh, you know, they're kind of the two-headed monster that that passing game goes through. And they haven't really gotten Dallas Goddard going. I know that's something that they want to do. So when you take into account, you know, the guys that they have, the personnel, I still think they're getting used to the new offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson. So I think think the rest of the league, unfortunately, hasn't quite seen them really hit on, you know, full throttle yet. And uh, even – a B plus a minus uh, performance by the Eagles has them at four. now. So speaking of full throttle, it's, it's early enough that we don't completely know the answer to this, but Cooper cup is back at practice for the Rams. We know, we know all about him and it's, it's fun and scary that the Rams have been playing as well on offense without him. I don't know how many people saw that coming. I'm going to hope for the sake of a more fun game that Cooper Cup is on the field on Sunday. How do you think that changes what the Rams do on offense? Especially, I don't want to say Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua are the same player, but I I do think there are some similarities there. And I'm curious about how those two will coexist on this Rams offense once they both start playing. Yeah, and I actually think that's one of the more fascinating components to this week's game. You know, all you know, all indications are that. Cooper Cup had a good first day back yesterday. We'll get the injury report. We'll have a chance to speak to some of their coaches um, later today and tomorrow. So we're, we're looking forward to kind of hopefully getting an update about his status. But you said, I mean, Puka Nakua, he's been the he's been the story of the year. You know, the breakout on, you know, star as a rookie and what he's done. Obviously, there's a million stats that people can rattle off, but he does do a lot of his damage out of the inside kind of slot position. He's a big physical guy, makes a lot of contested catches. Seems like he's always open. Um, and that's kind of the role he's that's he's kind of assumed that role that we've seen for years Cooper Cup have. So I think if anybody can figure it out, it's a good problem to have if you're Sean McVay is, OK, I have a lot of guys now I can throw the ball to. How do I work it all together and build the package? I think 
you know, I think for the Rams, that's a, that's a good thing. I think it might take them a week or two to figure out how they complement each other and what that looks like with them both on the field at the same time. But let's not forget just a couple of years ago, Cooper cup was the offensive player of the year, just shy of 2000 receiving yards. So, I mean, this guy is, uh, this guy's a pretty good player when healthy. So I, I think he's going to get his, his opportunities. And I think this goes, you know, this is the matchup of the, of the game in my mind, I think with, with, you know, Stafford and, and this kind of passing game and the passing real pass heavy attack, you know, they don't really care to run the ball much, although they were better last year, last week um, against Indy. I think the bottom line is how does the Philadelphia Eagles defensive backs, you know, the secondary is a little banged up. They've weathered some injuries through the first couple of weeks and, it's not the past defense that we saw at least statistically last year on the way to the, on the way to the Super Bowl. So that's the matchup of the game. If they can continue to spread them out and, and get open space and let the wide receivers and, and tight ends operate. I think that's, if there is a little bit of a you know weakness right now, getting it sorted out, it is that's, you know, past defense of the Eagles and that plays to the strengths of the Rams. That was going to be my next question. Eagles are fifth from the bottom in passing yards as a defense so far this year. Uh, no disrespect to Sam Howell. He's been amazing so far this season, but a, a guy who's in his first season as starter throwing for 290 on you probably uh, makes you a little bit nervous going against somebody like Matthew Stafford and this Rams offense. I am curious, you mentioned that there's, there's injuries. There's a lot of stuff they're dealing with on the back end. The, the pass rush is so talented in Philadelphia. Is it, is there more that they can be doing to put pressure, especially against a pocket passer like Matthew Stafford to maybe help their secondary out? Yeah, I, I think it always ties together. I think when you look back to last year, you know, as we were getting ready to, to call the Super Bowl with with Philly and, and Kansas City, you know, one of the big storylines for Philly defensively is they were historically, you know, they were historically good rushing the passer. You know, four, four defensive players with double-digit sacks. And, you know, they're trying to replace a little bit of that production. You know, Hargrave is now gone and they got the rookie Jalen Carter, you know, he kind of fell a little bit in the draft and fell into their lap. So they've got some new pieces that they're, they're kind of getting. They're obviously very talented. Asan Reddick, Sweat, uh, you know, Fletcher Cox is getting a little older, but can still rush the passer. We mentioned the rookies. So, I mean, they got some guys that can get after the passer. Um, you know, listen, Sean Desai, new coordinator, you know, anytime you have a little changing of the guard there philosophy wise, there's always going to be a little bit of a learning curve. We mentioned, you know, Avante Maddox, he got injured earlier a couple of weeks ago, so they're replacing him. Now James Bradbury's playing a little bit more in the slot. That's not typically where he's played in his career. You know, Slay's staying outside, and he's play, uh, Bradbury's playing in the slot. That's, again, that's not traditionally where he's played. So I think they're still trying to sort it all out. I think they're still trying to find out what is their best combination in the back end, especially against a team like L.A. that's going to play – the vast majority of the game and, you know, three wide receivers, one tight end, 11 personnel, and really challenge you with, with speed and challenge you with wide receivers. So I think, um, you know, we'll get an idea early of how Philly thinks they match, but yeah, I think any, any secondary would sign up. It, listen, the more you can pressure the passer, the more you can force the ball to come out, the less time we have to cover the left space, the less space we have to give the receivers on our cushion. We can get up, we can challenge them. We can take some of the air out of that. So I think it always goes hand in hand. I think that pass rush is still, you know, as far as pass right pass rush win rate and the pressures and all that, they're they're still, you know, find themselves in that top tier in the league. Uh, maybe the sacks are a little bit down from from last year's pace, but it, it's a great front and and it's all you know. Can the Rams block them? You know, there's going to be guys open and McVay can drop all the pass routes he wants and 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 Stafford can spin it anywhere he wants. But you got to pass block and last and last week that's what Washington did really well. 
And it's a big reason that Sam Howell had the success that you mentioned. One more thing I want to highlight. I, it, it's, it seems pretty important. Cam Jurgens, the second year player for Philly at guard. It looks like he's going to miss this game. His replacement, Sua Opeta, has never, he's, he's played at tackle. He's never started at guard. Aaron Donald doesn't seem like a fun matchup for a team that's breaking in a new guard. Are we expecting Jason Kelsey's going to spend his whole day doubling or, or how do you project that to go? Cause that feels like Aaron Donald going against somebody who's never done this seems like a matchup that could, could really have a huge impact on this game. Yeah, no question. And, and listen, one-on-one, one on one, I don't care if you've played 200 games one-on-one on one, uh, is not very good. Aaron point. Donald is not a great matchup for anybody one-on-one. On one. I mean, we, he's a, you know, he's a all world, all time uh, interior defensive lineman. He, he's, he's a special unique guy that doesn't come around very often. So yeah, Philly, everything's going to start with protection for Philly. They're fortunate that, you know, he's going to be surrounded by all pros kind of everywhere you look. Um, you know, last year, you know, Lane Johnson's a pro bowler, you know, Kelsey's a pro bowler, Landon Dickerson's a pro bowler. I can make the, you know, make the argument they probably missed out on a couple other ones with my left tackle. So they got a pretty talented group, fortunate for him there at right guard. But, um, you know, it all starts there. I, I expect the Rams to try to isolate one-on-one, -on -one, try to do some overloads to not allow Kelsey to always slide the protection to Aaron Donald. They're going to have to get creative um, get creative there. But, you know, this is the best O-line in the league, and, and they have been for the last year or two. So it's a big challenge for any front, but Aaron Donald is a generational player, and, um, you know, the Rams need to do a good job giving him his opportunities to not just run into a brick wall of, of you know, double teams all day. They got to isolate him and let them try to win and, and get after Jalen Hurts the best they can. A lot of fun matchups across this one. I It, it looks so entertaining on paper. I, I hope it lives up to it. Greg, enjoy the call. Appreciate the time. Appreciate it. Thanks as always. Greg will be right here in LA for his week five matchup. As we move into the rest of the slate for Sunday, let's keep it right here on the West Coast. Let's go up north to the Bay Area. The big one, the granddaddy, the game of the century of the season for week five anyway it's Cowboys Niners you know what time it is the rematch of the last two playoff games the Niners have sent the Cowboys packing in two straight Januaries this is as good as a week five matchup is going to get that's why we're blowing it out I don't care we're bringing in my good friend Eric Williams from foxsports.com shameless plug if you need more Cowboys Niners content, Eric and I did an entire 2100 word preview of this matchup. You can go read it on the app. You can go read it on the web. But in the meantime, I've got Eric here right now. And Eric, I asked you this in the story. I know exactly what's at stake for the Dallas Cowboys in this game. This is the bully that they cannot beat. This is the team that's broken their hearts two years in a row. This is a game that they need to win to sway people that things are different. All of that stuff is at stake. We heard Jerry Jones say the Niners look the most likely to win the Super Bowl. We've heard the Cowboys say that this is a measuring stick game. But on the other side of this matchup, I mean, the Niners are every bit a contender as well. If it's possible, a team that's gone to two straight NFC championship games seems the less hyped part of this matchup. But I'm curious from your perspective, covering that team, what would a win in this game say for the Niners about where they are and whether they can achieve their goals this year? Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, there's still question about their quarterback, you know, Brock Purdy, you know, is he really a legitimate 
a top 10 quarterback in the league, even though he's played like that essentially since he's taken over as a starter as a rookie last year. So I think there's still some chip on the shoulder and wanting to go out and prove it against uh, a legitimate defense that he, he struggled against last year in the postseason. You know, had a career low 84.7 uh, passer rating. Uh, they're able to put pressure on him a little bit. And so I think he kind of wants to prove again that, you know, what he's done over the last 10 or 11 games uh, isn't a fluke. And then I think the other thing is there's still um, a bad taste in their mouth and how the season ended last year, you know, losing to the Eagles and not having their quarterback there. And so I think they want to prove to the league that this is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And the only way to do that is to beat teams like the Cowboys. I know maybe it doesn't matter in early October, but the Niners resume to this point is better than what Philadelphia has done. If they were to win this game, I think it's unquestionable that they're in a better spot. I mean, does does a win like this make the Niners the team to beat? And maybe not even just in the NFC, but in the entire NFL. I think so. And I think I say that because of the way that they've played so far. You know, they're averaging over 30 points a game offensively. They're playing solid defensively, but I feel, still feel like there's another couple levels they can go defensively. You know, only nine sacks through the first four games. Nick Bosa has just one sack through four games. I believe he had six sacks through four games last year on his way to winning the defensive MVP. So I still feel like this team hasn't really peaked, which is scary. Um, obviously, they have a lot of playmakers on offense and defense, but um, this team hasn't really started to click yet. And again, I think that's that's scary for the rest of the league. I want to take it back to Brock Purdy for a second. I, the last time you were on the show, it was for 49ers Giants. And, and we know that Giants defensive coordinator threw the kitchen sink at Brock Purdy. It didn't really work very well. He, he beat the blitz. He beat the pressure. If you're Dan Quinn, and I do think it's interesting, obviously Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan have history going back to the Atlanta Falcons. These are two guys that know each other really well. If you're Dan Quinn and you have this Dallas defense at your disposal, Clearly, nobody's been able to figure Purdy out to this point, but but what strategy do you think Dan Quinn might employ? Yeah, you know, I, I was lucky enough to cover Dan Quinn when he was a defensive coordinator for the Seahawks, and obviously they had a legion of boom, and they had one of the, the better front fours in the league at that time, uh, you know, led by Michael Bennett and Cliff Arrow and guys like that. And they were mo most effective when they rushed just four rushers and played coverage behind that and, and tried to, to confuse defenses. And I expect Dan to take a similar tack with Purdy. Remember, Purdy is still relatively inexperienced in the league, you know, in his second season and obviously hasn't seen everything. So I think if they're able to generate pressure with their front four led by Micah Parsons and, and, and again, try to make him make some mistakes in terms of where he's going to go with the football, the Giants were able to do that a couple of times against Purdy. They, they got their hands on some footballs, and, and Purdy was fortunate that he didn't throw a pick a couple times uh, against the Giants defense when they brought pressure. So I think if they can get pressure with the front four, play coverage behind it, and maybe force Purdy into a couple mistakes and play from ahead, I think that's a, a blueprint to winning for the Cowboys. That's a really good point. It's easy to forget because the Niners beat the Giants by three scores, but in the first couple possessions of that game, Brock Purdy with with at least two or three turnover worthy throws early on. 
we've seen the Cowboys success jumping out to leads on people. I don't, I don't know easier said than done against the 49ers. Right. But I, I think you make a really good point that, that getting Purdy out of that comfort zone of dictating the game, a, it's something that not a lot of people are equipped to do and, and B it might lead to some positive results for the Cowboys. Yeah, no doubt. I'd really feel like in order for the Cowboys to have a chance, like we talked about on foxsport.com, they have to take care of the football. You know, Dak had two interceptions in the postseason game last year, and those were critical in terms of the Niners being able to take advantage of those, those opportunities. So they have to play clean football. It'll be interesting to see how Mike McCarthy calls this game, you know, compared to how Kellen Moore called it last year. Is it going to be more ball controlled? You know, is it going to be uh, kind of a grinded out game from this Dallas Cowboys offense to try to limit mistakes and really make the Cowboys, excuse me, the 49ers earn their points on offense. Um, I think that's going to be, again, one of the things to kind of watch for. And, and like I said, I, I really feel like you need to put Purdy in some, you know, some precarious situations to see if he'll give the football to them. Flipping over to that side, talking about Dak Prescott, obviously what everybody remembers from the playoffs is two interceptions in the first half that really had a, a huge hand in deciding that divisional round playoff game. I'm fascinated to see how this matchup goes. Obviously it's, it's a new DC in San Francisco with D'Amico Ryan's off to Houston. Steve Wilkes takes over. The thing I remember about the divisional game so much is the Niners made Dak Prescott fight for every five or six yards. The throwing lanes were clogged. His receivers couldn't get a whole lot of separation. And, and, and the, the, the cast of characters outside the coaching staff is still the same, but, but what have you seen from, from Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw and those types of guys, the Cowboys offense really looks like a West coast style so far this season. We haven't seen a ton of explosive plays do you anticipate that again this year where, where Dallas is going to have to string together these long methodical scoring drives? I think so. But I think what the Arizona Cardinals showed us is there's an opportunity to get explosive plays. If you could run the football against them and kind of get them to suck up and maybe do some play action stuff behind that, you know, that 99 yard drive that the Cardinals had against the Niners, you don't see great teams giving up long sustained drives like that. Usually they're able to get off the field at some point. And we don't really consider the Cardinals, you know, a top 10 offense in the league led by Joshua Dobbs. And so I think, again, that kind of provides a blueprint for the Cowboys that, you know, maybe they can get the running game going a little bit with Pollard and run some play action stuff off of that to get explosive down the field. Maybe that will help them get into the, the you know, scoring position a little easier. And then obviously we've talked about it with, you know, what's happening with the Cowboys in the red zone. They have to be much more efficient once they get down there. They can't settle for field goals. They need to cash in with touchdowns because we know that the Niners are going to score offensively. That is, it's a, a fun component of this matchup is that they, they both had a, a common opponent so far this season. Cowboys lose a shocker to Arizona week three, Niners beat them week four. Just like you said, maybe the Cardinals gave the Cowboys a blueprint against San Francisco. I'm sure Kyle Shanahan and Christian McCaffrey liked a lot of what they saw of the Cowboys run defense in that week three game against the Cardinals. We know McCaffrey is, is on pace for an MVP season. It is early, but, but knowing that matchup looks favorable. Do you see 
that type of performance as being possible against the Dallas defense for, for McCaffrey in this San Francisco run game. Yeah, I do think it's, it's possible that they could run the football effectively. 222 yards is, is a lot. I mean, you know, you don't see defenses giving up that on a regular basis. And I think the Cowboys are going to be a little more stout defensively. Um, but I do expect um, the Niners to run the ball effectively. I think one thing that we need to think about, though, is we haven't seen Debo involved in the running game very much. And maybe this is one of those Debo Samuel games where you get him going on fly sweeps and you really try to stretch and stress the perimeter of that Dallas defense, you know, make Micah Parsons tackle, make him defend the run. Maybe that slows him down in terms of a pass rusher. And so, um, you know, Debo has been limited this week with it, with a knee. I suspect that he's going to play. And if he does play, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets eight or 10 rushes and, and they look to, to maybe go with Debo a little bit more in terms of the run game. One last thing before I get you out of here. I mean, every component of this game, wherever you look, you can find an all pro or a pro bowler in a matchup. So I'm just curious, wherever you want to take it as a fan of football, is there a matchup in this game that gets you particularly excited? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, well, a couple different matchups. I, I like George Kittle against the second level of that Dallas Cowboys defense to see if those linebackers can match up with him. And again, I think Kittle really hasn't had that, that game that he had last season where he had a couple of those in the second half of the year and was really Purdy's security blanket. And then I think the other matchup to watch is, is CD lamb on the perimeter and whether it's, it's Shabarius ward or whoever's going to be the starter uh, at the other corner for the, the Niners. Can they, can they stop him? you know, in the perimeter? Uh, I think that's if, if on the Cowboys, I'm looking to see if I can get CD going offensively and see if I can get some chunk plays that way. Just as a fan of line play, I'm I'm knocking on wood here because it looks like it looks like the Cowboys starting offensive line is going to be all available for the first time in I think 23 games, particularly Tyler Smith, the second year guard, plays left guard for the Cowboys. He's been phenomenal through his first two games of the season. I cannot wait to see how him and Zach Martin deal with Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave. I just, I mean, maybe it's not the sexiest thing on the field, but I think that's going to be, be a major battle. Uh, and I think it's going to have a, a big factor in determining how well Dak Prescott plays in this game. Eric, this is, this is about as good as it gets in the regular season, my man. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for the time. Yeah, looking forward to being at Levi stadium on Sunday and thanks. I appreciate it. Everybody and their mom knew Cowboys Niners was going to get the red carpet treatment. How could it not? But let's give a little bit of love to a matchup that you didn't see coming as an interesting one for week five. Let's just be honest. A game between teams that seem to be heading in the opposite direction. Houston Texans traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. I just said it. Houston winners of two in a row after starting 0-2. CJ Stroud looking like the truth. Atlanta Falcons jump out to a 2-0 start. They've lost their last two in pretty ugly fashion, I might add. Just one touchdown in their last two outings. What What's going to give? And I think it's especially interesting because... No offense, Falcons. Let's give the Houston Texans some shine. This was a team that fought for the number one overall pick last year. They drafted CJ Stroud number two overall. They earned every bit of that high draft position. They get Will Anderson out of the top five of the draft as well. And I think most people 
said, okay, cool. D'Amico Ryans, we like it. CJ Stroud and Will Anderson, we like it. We'll check in with this team in 2024 and see where they're at. I don't know very many people that thought of them more as mildly interesting. And here we are with CJ Stroud playing out of his mind, most yards by a rookie through the first month of his season since Cam Newton, MVP, former MVP of the league, putting up big time points and and doing it against teams that we think highly of. I picked the Jacksonville Jaguars to win the AFC South. They have Trevor Lawrence, a lot of people with high expectations for them. They smacked them down by 20 points a couple weeks ago. Then they follow that up against Pittsburgh, a team with an NFL defensive player of the year in TJ Watt, a very long tenured, very successful head coach in Mike Tomlin, a team that a lot of people saw as a sneaky wildcard contender. They smacked them down last week, probably... I think the most surprising result of week four, not just that Houston beat Pittsburgh, but just completely dominated them in a 30 to six game. So now what do you do with it? Texans you're, you're not sneaking up on anybody. You're not off the radar. You're being featured here on a national NFL podcast. Can you deal with the expectations of people being excited to watch you play? It's one thing for CJ Stroud to ball and nobody notices it until the next morning but I think this is a game that a lot of people are going to have eyeballs on. I can't wait to see how they respond to that type of attention. I think it's a good week for them. It sounds like the Texans offensive line might finally resemble what it was supposed to. Laramie Tunsil, the the Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber left tackle, getting back to practice. Right tackle, Titus Howard, getting back to practice. Hopefully both of those guys play. But I'll give the Texans credit of saying, even when their offensive line was looking like a game of who's who like, Oh, who, who's that guy? Is it, is he wearing, is he, is he wearing like a, a white undershirt or a red one? I don't know who that is. They were still able to put up 30 points in consecutive weeks. I think it's going to look a lot better if those guys can play Falcons have seven sacks and just 63 pressures on the season as a defense quick outside of Grady Jarrett name of Falcons pass rusher. The average fan probably can't. Only nine teams in the league have fewer than 63 pressures on the season. Puts them firmly in the bottom half of the league. Falcons have had a terrible sack differential for years at this point. Other teams are good at getting their guy on the ground. They're not so good at getting home. I, For my money, just off the dome, I don't think the Falcons have had a premier edge rusher since that one year that Vic Beasley put together, which feels like a lifetime ago. Falcons. Big week for Desmond Ritter struggled last week in London against Jacksonville, turned the ball over three times. A lot of grumbling about whether he's the guy, not sure that Taylor Heineke is a long-term solution, but I do think if Desmond Ritter keeps playing that way, Arthur Smith eventually won't have a choice, but to make a move. So this is a big spot for him going against D'Amico Ryan's defense. Falcons are favored. So Maybe by the way I'm talking, I'll, I'll come right out and say it. I'm excited to watch the Texans. I expect the Texans to win this game, but the Falcons are favored. Maybe some of that is by virtue of being at home, but this is a week-to-week league, and that's, that's what makes this intriguing. Are, are we going to see a team closer to the Falcons team that won two straight at the start of the season, overcame a fourth-quarter deficit against Green Bay, or are we going to see more of this very inept-looking offense who can't get anything going in the passing game. I do want to highlight my old buddy from Dallas, Dalton Schultz, Texans tight end. 
I'm feeling a good game from him. It's been a slow start to the season for Dalton since he signed in Houston over the off season. He did have his best game against Pittsburgh, three catches, 32 yards and a touchdown. The Falcons quietly deserve credit for having, I think a better secondary than people, than people know. Jesse Bates, premier signing in the offseason. He's playing like one of the best safeties in the league, which he is AJ Terrell and incredibly Ter- Terrell, AJ Terrell, AJ Terrell. I'm sorry, AJ, you're a phenomenal player, but the Falcons have been susceptible to good games from tight ends. Sam Laporta week three, Detroit goes eight for 84 and a touchdown against the Falcons week one. And we know now what a mess the uh, the Carolina Panthers offense is. Week one, Hayden Hurst for Carolina gets 541 and a touchdown against Atlanta. So I think the matchups are favorable in the middle of the field. I don't know how much the Texans, you know, Nico Collins is out to an amazing start this season. But I, I think the Falcons have the horses to to shut some of those explosive plays down from the receiver core. Maybe this is a game where Dalton Schultz looks more like the guy we remember from Dallas. I'm really excited to see this one. I think the Texans get out of this with a road win, but it is a more intriguing matchup than maybe my Texans excitement suggests. This is it's a week to week league and a narrative league. We're hot on the Texans right now. All it would take is Desmond Ritter playing a good game and getting this win. And we're back excited about a surprising and impressive Falcons team. I can't wait to see which way it goes elsewhere. Down in Miami, a game that doesn't feel as hard to predict. The New York Giants reeling, going down to face a Dolphins team, probably angry coming off their first loss of the season. Definitely not reeling. Let's not overreact. I think the Dolphins are going to be just fine. I think this is a get-right opportunity for them going against New York. But any given Sunday... Breaking it down, we do have Kenny Albert, who is on the call in Miami. Kenny... Dolphins, not a team that you get to see a lot of here on Fox. This is their first appearance this season. And I believe if I'm right, this is your first game calling the Dolphins since October of last year when Tua Tungavailoa was out hurt. So just from your perspective, getting to get a look at this offense, what are you most excited about to see from the Dolphins at full strength with everybody ready to go? Right. He did not. So uh, we are headed to... South Florida for the Dolphins-Giants game this Sunday, along with Jonathan Billman, Shannon Spake, uh, called that one Dolphins game last year. And also uh, uh, a couple of years prior to that, we had two his first start against the so Rams. I, I bring that up because, you know, this this is not a team that maybe you see as regularly as others. This is the Dolphins' first game on Fox this season. Having them at at full strength with Tua available in the Mike McDaniel offense, uh, you know, we've seen what they've been able to do through the first four weeks of the season. What do you anticipate or what gets you most excited with with the way this team is playing, particularly on offense? Well, it's always fun to call high scoring games. Uh, We have one last week with the Colts and the Rams that went to overtime and Puka Nakua uh, with his magic nine catches, 160 plus yards and the game winning touchdown. Uh, you look at the Dolphins averaging over 500 yards per game, over 37 points per game. They put up 70 against Denver. I mean, I remember calling games involving uh, the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And this Dolphins team so far, what we've seen over the first four weeks, uh, kind of resembles those Rams teams. When you look at all the weapons they have with Tua at quarterback, uh, all of the terrific wide receivers and running backs. So 
you know, I know the Giants are working hard. Uh, they'll have their hands full to try and stop this uh, Dolphins offense. Brian Dable knows Tua as well as anybody. He was one of his coaches at Alabama, and they're very close. So uh, uh, we'll see what he can pull out of his hat as far as uh, attempting to defend Tua and the Miami offense. But it should be a lot of fun for us from a broadcast standpoint. Talking about the Giants leads me to something that I think is really interesting from your perspective. You guys, you go you go to these cities on the weekend, you get to know these teams, you you get to interview these guys and really get a sense for, for where things stand. Now, obviously, not the start to the season that the Giants anticipated by any stretch. Uh, you know, short of maybe the Chicago Bears and I guess Carolina also not having a win, there, there aren't a whole lot of teams – that are off to a more frustrating start. Seems like it's been a rough week in New York with Evan Neal calling out the Giants fan base during the week. So it's your job to go in here and meet with these guys, get a sense for where things are so you can accurately tell the story on Sunday. What is your approach when you've got to, you know, meet with Brian Dable and meet with these players who I'm going to go ahead and guess are not having a very fun week? Well, you're right. I mean, they were a playoff team a year ago. They won a road playoff game in Minneapolis. High expectations heading into this year. It hasn't started uh, the way they would have liked, but it is early. It's only a quarter of a way through the season, and they've had so many injuries. You look at the offensive line, uh, key players banged up, Saquon Barkley, uh, some of the receivers, the tight end, Darren Waller, not at 100%. Uh, you know, those injuries and the shuffling on the O-line, a big reason why uh daniel jones was sacked 10 times on monday and the seahawks had 11 sacks in all but um i know they were happy with how their defense played as as the game uh moved along uh they won so many close games last year so many things went their way you look at the turnover margin minus eight this year much different story but as a as a crew getting ready to do this game i don't want to say you're going with a blank slate because we're reading all the articles and I live in the New York area, so I'm, I'm certainly uh, surrounded by Giants and Jets talk each and every day. But uh, we watch the prior games. We study the teams. We will. We haven't yet, you know, as you and I speak, but we will sit down and chat with players and coaches on both sides and uh, formulate our storylines and go through our production meetings as well. So, you know, when we when we do have those meetings with, with the players and coaches, uh, there's usually – great information that they share with us uh, that we're able to incorporate into the broadcast on Sunday. Sticking with, again, uh, a an unfortunate start, I guess we'll say, for the Giants so far. And, and you're right. I mean, so much of it is injury. Offensive line has been compromised for the last two weeks. Saquon Barkley hasn't been a, a big part of this thing. Is it is it as simple of a fix as that, as just getting these guys back? Because it... it it had its rough moments before all of this happened as well. Obviously, losing 40 to nothing at home to the Cowboys is not the way you want to start your season. Uh, it required a bit of a rally week two against Arizona. Is is there deeper soul searching that needs to happen than just, oh, you know, we get a couple of offensive linemen back, we get our star running back back in the lineup, we can count on better production? Because watching that game against Seattle, it was hard to avoid the thought that there might be deeper issues at work here. Right. I mean, obviously getting those players back would be a, a big part of it, but you know, it's a team that's had a lead for only 19 points or 19 seconds. I'm sorry, all season. That was in the Arizona game with the big comeback. 
And the schedule doesn't get any easier. They have the Dolphins this week and then the Buffalo Bills next week. So, right. um, you know, Brian Dable, his staff, uh, they did a great job last year, coach of the year. Like I said, road playoff win. But every year is a new year. And uh, as they say, on any given Sunday, you never know what what will happen. Our crew, uh, in particular, the last three weeks, I, I don't know if I've ever had a stretch like this in 30 years calling NFL games. We had Atlanta coming back from 12 down in the fourth quarter. Uh, to beat Green Bay. We had Green Bay coming back from 17 down in the fourth quarter to beat New Orleans. And then we had the Colts coming back from 23-0 late in the third to force overtime. So uh, looking forward to the game on Sunday. Who knows? You know, the Dolphins score 71 week and then give up 48 the next week. So, um, you know, like they say, any given Sunday, you never, never know what might happen. I was about to say, so what you're telling me is around the, you know, the the three or four o'clock hour, the the third hour of the window, depending on what time zone you're in. I need to Don't get in front. Of, I got to get in front of y'all's game when this thing gets to the fourth quarter is basically what you're telling me. Absolutely. Don't don't turn the <laughs> dial. <laughs> All right. I, I did. I wanted to get to one last thing before we let you go. I did hear a little birdie. Birdie told me you've got a book coming out next week, a mic for all seasons. What can you tell me about it? I do. It's coming out October 10th. It was a really fun project. Um, for 33 years, I've done one thing professionally, and that's play-by-play. Play. And uh, now I'm an author, so it's so exciting. I uh, <laughs> wrote the book over the last two or three years. Uh, did it myself. No ghostwriter. Wanted it to be my voice, my words, my stories. Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier wrote the forwards. It's a compilation of my early life, getting into broadcasting, growing up around broadcasting, uh, doing play-by-play in high school and college, first job in minor league hockey, uh, getting hired by Fox when Rupert Murdoch made this crazy bid for the NFC package prior to the 94 season, and then chapters on each sport, each of the four that I do, chapter on the all of the Olympics that I've worked, a chapter on the 200-plus color analysts that I've worked with, a chapter on travel stories, uh, how we did things during the COVID pandemic, a chapter on paying it forward, advice for young sportscasters, so... Uh, thanks for bringing it up, Dave. And uh, uh, I saw the first copies. Uh, the boxes arrived at my house about a month ago and uh, can't wait for the actual release this coming week. Well, I, I'm excited for you. I, I want to take a look at it. I guess I, I would say I'm putting you on the spot, but you wrote the book. So hopefully not too much. But with all of these, you know, with with such a storied career, can you give me a moment I assume it's in this book already, but even if it's not, maybe just your most surreal moment where even as somebody that's been doing this as long as you have, you kind of looked around like, man, I'm actually, I'm here. I'm getting a chance to experience this. That would probably be the sugar bowl that I worked with Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw at Notre Dame LSU back in 2007. Uh, but I also go through memorable games, the Patriots Raiders last year, the crazy play at the end, the laterals, uh, the Chandler Jones interception for a touchdown. Uh, 20 plus years ago, I had Terrell Owens stomping on the Cowboys star. I had Bill Cowher shoving a photo of Polaroid in the referee's shirt pocket at halftime one game. Uh, the Victor Cruz 99 yard touchdown from Eli Manning against the Jets, but also a lot of, a lot of stories that hopefully people will, uh, be entertained by, uh, Barry Trotz, one of the winningest coaches in NHL history was my road roommate during my minor league hockey broadcasting days. And, he set up a prank, a fake arrest of me in Sydney, Nova Scotia. So that story's in the book. Um, a fake interview I did with Mayor Michael Bloomberg in New York after Game 7 of the Yankees-Red Sox ALCS in 2003. 
those are probably the uh, two stories that that stand out in my mind. But as far as that one game, like you said, the game with Terry and Howie, uh, the Bautista home run and bat flip, I was on the call for that one in 2015. Uh, Stanley Cup final, two of the last three years on national TV. U.S. women's hockey uh, uh, winning the gold in Pyeongchang in 2018. So I run down all these stories, all these games in the book. So uh, hopefully you can check it out. A couple of thoughts. I mean, as an LSU grad, I've got to go read this story. Oh, remember that I have well. to. But on top of that, look, I, I love talking football with you and with all of our other NFL on Fox personalities. But if you have a standing invite, anytime you want to come on the pod and just tell me crazy stories from your career, I'm oh, all about anytime. it. So anytime you've got the the availability in your schedule – that sounds like a hell of a segment to me. Kenny Albert, I appreciate the I appreciate the time so much. Good luck with the call. Good luck with the book. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Look forward to the podcast. Uh, absolutely. Would love to join you. And uh, great chatting with you here today. Appreciate it. I'm going to make sure to check in with Kenny about what might happen this season that would qualify for an additional chapter in the book someday, maybe a bonus edition. I'm, I'm sure it'll happen. That's the nature of the NFL. That does it for the big previews. That does not do it for the show. If you're familiar with us here, it's time for the hurry up. We still got plenty more matchups to get to, but we want to get you on your way. Can't have you here all day. You got stuff to do. You got football to watch this weekend. So what we're going to do, we call it the hurry up. We're going to run through all of the remaining games in the NFL for week five, we're going to do it in three and a half minutes or less. I promise you it won't be less. I try, but I'm pretty long winded. If you're watching at home, my wonderful producers are about to put three and a half minutes on the clock. If you're listening, I, you're going to hear the, the buzzer from the sounds of it. I think they're going to cut me off this week, but we'll get you through all of these matchups. Three and a half minutes starting right now. With Jags and Bills, another London game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'm curious to see. This is unprecedented. Jags stayed in London, so they get an extra week. How does that benefit them against the Bills, who are just coming over at the end of the week, need to acclimate to the time change and all that good stuff? The Jags offense should be better than it's been. It's been surprisingly mid. They don't convert third downs. They struggled to score touchdowns. I think they're going to be fine in the long run, not against the Bills. I think the Bills secondary can hold down Trevor Lawrence, confuse him just enough. I don't think this is the week the Jags get right. I like the Bills winning in London. Panthers at Lions, that was my survivor pick. Lions, it's a big spread. I feel good about the Lions. I'm not going to overthink it. I just don't think the Panthers have the guys on offense right now. I think their defense can give Detroit at least a little bit of problems. I'm taking Lions, and I'm taking them to cover. I'm not worrying that, about, that much about it. Titans at Colts. All I know about the Titans is that they're good at subverting my expectations. They've been the underdog all four weeks of the season, and they're 3-1. and one. But now they're the favorite. That leads me to believe they're going to find a way to lose. That's what the Titans do. I'm riding with Anthony Richardson, especially if Jonathan Taylor comes back for this game. I like the Colts. Saints at Patriots. Yes, the Pats lost Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez. They still have talent. Dietrich Wise, Josh Uche, Kyle Duggar. We'll see if JC Jackson plays. Even if he doesn't, doesn't matter. Saints offense is putrid. They have yet to score more than 20 points. I don't think it's going to happen in New England. I got the Pats winning an ugly one as long as Mac Jones is a little more cautious with the ball Ravens and Steelers. 
Never write off a division game, but man, this seems to favor the Ravens. Past few weeks, they've been winning despite the fact that they have a CVS receipt of injuries. Just guys on guys on guys out injured. They're starting to get those guys back. Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, all practicing. Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum are already back. Kenny Pickett's dealing with an injury. Give me the Ravens on the road, and I think they do it convincingly. Bengals at Cardinals. It feels hypocritical to keep picking the Bengals, but I'm going to keep picking the Bengals. I just don't believe a team with this much talent can be this bad. Despite Joe Burrow's injuries, I do think the Cardinals keep it close, but I think the Bengals try to find a way to keep their season alive. Close jets at Broncos Hackett bowl lost some luster. When Aaron Rodgers went down, Zach Wilson playing that well. I am re-intrigued Broncos offense is actually pretty good. It's just that their defense is horrendous. I feel crazy for saying it. If you give me last week, Zach Wilson going against that defense, I'll take that over Russell Wilson going against the jets defense. I got the jets winning a road game chiefs at Vikings shoot out of the week could be the most entertaining game of the week. Kirk cousins quietly balling. 11 touchdowns on the season, but here's the thing. Brian Flores doesn't have the guys on defense. He loves to bit blitz. Patrick Mahomes is great against the blitz. Good luck. Vikings holding the chiefs below 30. I got the chiefs winning like 34, 27, something awesome. That brings us to Monday night football. It's the Devonte Adams bowl Raiders. If you lose, I think you should have to trade him. That's just my personal opinion. Can't wait to see Jair Alexander going against Devonte Adams. We'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo plays. I guarantee you this. And there is the buzzer. The Packers fan base is going to show out in Vegas. And I think green Bay gets a Monday night win against the Raiders. I always go over, but not by that much. Okay. Three minutes and 40 seconds. You get the rest of your NFL slate for week five. We will be back tomorrow. Not tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday. What am I talking about to break down all of the madness, all of the fun, the big tilts, the surprising upsets. We'll get you ready for Monday night football. We'll react to the news. You know, the drill, go find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate the support. We love y'all. I'm Dave. I'll catch y'all next time.